Behold, Arthur, this is the Holy Grail. Look well, Arthur, for it is your sacred task to seek this Grail. That is your purpose, Arthur. The quest for the Holy Grail. A blessing, a blessing from the Lord. God be praised. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Second Ron. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, E. Simon. I'm Kate Rambo, the other host. I was actually wondering, Kate Rambo. How is your Spooktober coming along? My Spooktober will be going a lot better if you would stop referring to it as Spooktober. I think by the fourth time you'd done that with JoJo, I was just ready to kill you. Well, if you can find a better word for me to use to describe the spookiest month of the year, I'm all ears. Just just call it Halloween, mate. It's just Halloween. Halloween's just October 31st. It's all Halloween. Halloween month of October. The other 30 days are all spooky October (laughs) days. And if you just make a portmanteau, Spooktober. Okay, that's, I'm just not going to pretend that is bothering me anymore. <laughs> you, you want a reaction. That's what you want. I would never do this to irk somebody. I'd never I love ever Spooktober. do anything like that. Let's keep referring to it all year long as Spooktober. Doot fucking doot. So two more weeks of, uh, of, of the Halloween month. And uh, have you picked out your costume yet this year? Actually, I was thinking I did miss a trick because I've talked about this. My last... Halloween question I did do was the Twin Towers and there's been a made you know it was the 20th anniversary of it this year so I feel a bit like um I've missed a trick by not doing a second Twin Towers costume you know I knew you were going to bring that up which is why I brought it up asking you what uh, costume because that is one of the deeply most offensive costumes that you could wear what is that you saying that no, I'm just saying there's a I was looking at I was looking it up just like what are offensive costumes because it varies from year to year uh, like, you know, I think 2016 or whenever that election was, it was like Hillary Clinton in a prison jumpsuit. How's that offensive? That's hilarious. It's offensive. You know, there's a number of... Uh, she belongs in jail. The Native American outfits, you know, it's kind of offensive. Uh, but every year, Twin Towers, always poor taste. Right. I think the entire point of Halloween is, is that you should be able to lampoon anything... And it's like, what? If there's not going to be kids at the party, who the fuck cares? You can do what you want. It's, I'm very like, um, you know, Prince Andrew on the Island of Love about the situation. You, you can go as you censored. want. Yeah, don't be censored. It's just a costume at the end of the day. If, if you're getting upset about a Halloween costume that someone else is wearing, you need to take a long look at your life. Well, and I'm really think upset. About it. I'm really upset because I normally like to do very PC costumes, and the one I had today is in mine for this year, this this Spooktober. All the parties I've been invited to, um, apparently, is also on the offensive costume list. So, what were you going to be? I actually didn't think this was offensive at all, and and I already started making the costume, but now I just might not. Um, it's inspired by Hooters, but instead it's called Droopers, <laughs> and so I was going to go as like an older woman. You know, that was a Hooters waitress. With your titties got, out. No, well, yeah, they'd be fake, obviously. But they'd be drooping out under my shirt, and the shirt would say droopers, and I'd wear, like, the orange hot pants. And I was going to just have jello shots and, you know, 
give jello shots to all my friends at all the parties that I was going to be invited to. How is that offensive? Exactly. Well, apparently it is, according to insider.com. I hate insider.com. That's not, that's hilarious. If it was like 12 of you, there was a costume I always really wanted to do. Troopers? But I suppose it would be in bad taste. No, I, we, I wanted to do this in uni, but we all argued about who didn't want to be Michael Jackson. Because if you got 12 of you and you went as the Thriller video, that's cool because there's loads of like weird 80s zombies. No one wanted to be Michael Jackson, so that's why it never happened. Why? Was he, I guess he was a pedo back when you were in uni. He's just a pedo, but then the, 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 the ramification of um, who is going to blackface. Oh, that's another that's another timeless. I will say <laughs> oh, offensive yeah, costume. No, I mean, well, if you timeless, do have to do a offensive. blackface costume, don't do it. Just don't fucking do it. You're not going to come out of that situation very well. But, you know, it's almost unfair, though, because Michael Jackson was, for all intents and purposes, kind of white. So yeah. would you need the blackface or would just by the fact that you're dressing up as him be black? Well, in the Thriller video, he has dark skin. So you would oh, have to have so you'd dark have to skin for the thriller video. Yeah. Would you, have you seen that the costume people sometimes go as the Roman priest with like the kid attached to the crotch? <laughs> like, would you have done that as Michael Jackson? Oh. <laughs> I remember I remember one time I was at a party. Was, I think my first year living in LA. And uh, my ex threw a party at her place and a bunch of her friends came over. And one guy showed up. I, I think I went, I might have went as uh, Ash from Evil Dead. Um, and this guy shows up, black guy, who was dating one of her friends, and he came dressed up as a Hasidic Jew. That's quite funny. I thought so too, but then a, people, a bunch of people were like, oh my God, are you going to be offended by that? And I was like, well, I guess he is appropriating you know, stereotypes and, and you know, cultural appropriation there, and he's kind of technically in Jew face. So maybe I could have been upset <laughs> by it. Did he glue a big, massive nose on? No, but he had like the curlies, the beard, the black hat. I've said this time and time again, the Hasidic Jews, the ones who wear the black vests and have the black hats, there's something very sexual about these people. That is warped. I don't no, understand. No, they can't. There's so something do you, have some, do, you, do you get wet when you see a Hasidic Jew walk by? Uh, yeah, a little. That is very creepy. There's something very kind of untoward. sexy about them. What's sexy about the Hasidic I Jews? I think it's the all black outfit and it's the curl. Is it the fact that they're circumcised underneath those <laughs> outfits? Like, no, are, you, are you fantasizing about a circumcised penis? We have talked about um, the smegma, and I collect it, and I spread it on my toast in the morning as protein. So I would miss the smegma. I guess. But then, but then, so is it the beard? Is it the curlies? Is it the big furry hat? Yeah, I think it's a big combination of that, and you just know that they could do that that dance. What is it called? <laughs> you kick your legs The horror. Out. The horror. Yeah. <laughs> the horror of the horror. I'm a whore for the horror. Possibly. I guess that's weird. Have you ever dated a Hasidic Jew? No, uh, no. well, they would not date me because I'm a Gentile. So it, Sometimes, part, of, part of the fantasy is that it's, it, it would never happen. But you could be verboten. Like you could be like his forbidden pleasure they hides from his family because he's a rebel Hasid. Oh, like a, and like a beard in a way, right? Kind of. I, I, uh, my uh, most recent ex actually was dating a Hasidic Jew that lived in like Beverly Hills. Parents were super loaded. And they would only, she would only go in the back way into their house, into like a secret. It was like a, it wasn't a shed, but it was like a pool house. To get and, in. No, they, he would sme sneak her into the pool house and they would shag in the pool house because he didn't want the family to see that he was with a shiksa. Oh, shit. Yeah. But I was just also, once again, being like, but did he have like the curly? She's like, no, he's just kind of Jewish looking. No, no, no. But he I wasn't want, I want, like a full on like Hasidic Jew. No, I want the full on Hasidic Jew and the black outfit and the hat and all of that. 
You want the whole thing. You want to like cosplay, like a cosplay sex thing. No, I want him to be real. I want him to read from the Torah as he's stupid me. That's a very weird fantasy. It's a <laughs> hey, very it's weird my fantasy. Halloween fantasy. There's nothing wrong with it. That's that's odd. Um, but anyway, uh, do you think... I, I remember thinking about it in retrospect after she told me that people were all concerned that I was going to be upset. I was like, God, I should have made a scene. Just to be like, How dare you? <laughs> we, like, well, my family died in the Holocaust for that outfit. Well, I was thinking if the reverse happened, like if I was like dressed up as, I don't know, Jesse Jackson or something or Martin Luther King, you know, like if I came in dressed as that, do you think that guy would have been like, dude, that's fucked up? If you went as MLK, you would have to do MLK after he'd been shot. Yeah, like yeah. a zombie MLK or something. No, just after he'd been shot and dead. Dead MLK is a good uh, Halloween people, costume. People do zombie celebrities that died. So if I did a zombified... MLK, do you think that guy would have been like, that's fucked? Well, I think, like, obviously... Uh, it would have been. It would have been because <laughs> of the blackface, yes. But at the same time, because that's just, like... Because we took the piss out of that, didn't we? Us whiteies took the absolute piss blackfacing on the, you know, in shows oh, yeah, yeah. and back on telly in back in the day. Bad on us. But like, Jew face us. is uh, completely permissible. That's, like... Well, I a, think it would have only been a Jew a face pass. if he'd have stuck a big old nose on and he had a little bag of shekels and then in his hand he had some diamonds and when you went near him he was like, ah, ha, ha. He, he wasn't doing that, but uh, he did have like a big star. I, I don't know. I thought it was hilarious. The guy was a pretty funny guy. But apparently that is definitely on the list of offensive uh, costumes. Like um, you, you can't go as the Dreamcatcher costume, which is like a Native American outfit. You know, you can't do that. You can't do... The Sexy Shooter Happy Hour, which is like kind of a Mexican-themed outfit, but with like shots of tequila. When you said Sexy Shooter then, I was just thinking of like, what, so you're going to go in with a trench coat and like an M15 rifle, and when you also open your trench coat, you've just got lingerie on? Well, I guess the year after the guy that shot that theater in Colorado, yeah. that guy's name, a bunch of people went, went as like the, that guy, Ginger, covered in blood. Shout out to um, Fat Mike as well for everything he said after the Las Vegas shooting. I salute <laughs> you, Fat Mike. You can't do the Rasta costume. <laughs> That's also not cool. But this fucking is... fuck the Rastas. Of course you can go as a Rasta. They're fucking idiots. <laughs> this is kind of perplexing. <laughs> the Dia de los, um, it's, let's say, it, they actually sell this costume, Dia de los Beauty, but it's like the Day of the Dead. Costumes like the face makeup, apparently that's offensive. Is that going to be the new thing that they stop doing that because it's like a religious ceremony? But if, if anything, well, if you can, yeah, but if you can lampoon anything, then religion is top of the list, followed by politics. Well, I fully agree. But it, but what's weird about the Dia de los Muertos, I've been to a few of the, uh, the parties and festivals like the Mission. It's a, it's a really fun night, but they're painting everybody's face. Yeah. So it's like you're an attendee, but apparently that's cultural appropriation. Um you can't go as the inflatable ballerina costume. What a fat ballerina! That's a body classic. shaming. That's a classic. No, it's not body shaming. Yeah, you can't. It's classic. No, that's fine. Apparently, the Droopers Ensemble, which I was previously mentioning, uh, has misogynistic implications. No, it doesn't. All everyone's tits, man and woman, they all droop once you get past a, a certain age. They frown upon going as a tampon, which I've done at least two times. <laughs> Why can't you go as you a tampon? You can't go as a tampon anymore. Tampons are so useful for everything. Uh, you can't dress up as Lecter. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, with like the you know the leather you know uh, that leather thing on his mouth. Why not? Like the mouth guard. You can't do that because it's a restrained convict. It reinforces harmful misconceptions about mental illness in prison. Oh my goodness. You can't go as a hobo nightmare. 
Hobo. <laughs> you can't make fun of the homeless. Well, what I've always, always wanted to have, is it a bindle? Is that what they call them, the bindle? That's offensive. I want a bindle on a stick. Just for like walking. I just think they're so like convenient. Kind of a throwback. They're kind of cool. They're convenient. It keeps, you know, you don't have to carry as much. I want a bindle. According to Insider.com, dressing up in a gorilla costume seems innocuous, but calling it a Harambe costume, insulting. Why, what? Is Harambe going to come down from Harambe heaven and just like, he, Harambe is in a better fucking place. You'd think it'd be a tribute. It, it is a tribute. To, yeah. Well, you, the other problem would be if you wore your Harambe costume. It's actually a good postu- costume to pull in because lads will get their dicks out for you and girls will get their tits out for you. For Harambe, yeah. Yeah. Never thought about that. Remember but the then memes? I think now people would be like, you're an asshole. Harambe. That's in poor taste. No, I think everyone would just be like, Harambe might bring, you know, people might have a little cry, but I, th- I think Harambe would be a hit. <laughs> I'm surprised. Bang. Just judging by your general attitude and history of uh, inappropriate comments and statements and actions, I'm surprised you've never done like Anne Frankenstein. <gasps> oh my God, I'm going to do that now. <laughs> Anne Frankenstein is such, I could go dressed as Anne Frank and like, make myself like put corpse paint on and, yeah, just and like took, the, put two bolts in the my bolts neck. bolts in your neck. I'm like the same height as Anne Frank. I'm obviously, you know, not dust <laughs> in an oven. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Just prone to very inappropriate comments. And frankly. But you, but, you know, the number one most offensive costume year in, year out is, well, KKK is pretty bad. Um, you can't really go dress up as a KKK person. I think it would be dangerous. Well, you can't pass yourself off as a ghost either. <laughs> Not you anymore. Can, because they have a pointy Ghosts don't have pointy Heads like that. Well, no, I think you're culturally appropriating ghosts because you actually don't. What about the ghosts that do have a pointy head? And now we can no longer talk about them because they're considered offensive, even though they're not necessarily. The ghosts of microcephalics. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but uh, <laughs> if you recall, one of your members of the royal family, the, the family that rules your country, your most beloved people, um, Prince Harry went as a Nazi one year. Remember that in 2005? Yeah, yeah iconic. Still an iconic moment in and Harry history. And that's why you support the royals? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, just through taxes. <laughs> Do you wish more of them would dress up as Nazis? Well, they technically are kind of Nazis. So, like, I like Harry. It's very tongue-in-cheek. I don't think he was doing it in a in a bad way. How could you not do that in a bad way? Like, I'm looking at the outfit right now. He's got, like, a little SS thing it's on It's a really collar. good one. He's got the red armband with a swastik. How could you not think that's important? Well, that's like saying, so when you go to, like, the World War II reenactors and they're dressed up as Nazis, is that in bad taste? They're not at a costume party. They're reenacting a they world are. war. They're that's reenacting co- something. They're not drinking apple teenies. And walking around with Nazi armbands. I really want an apple teeny now. And a Nazi costume to do it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like maybe now, you know, I think now everything's offensive, so. If everything's offensive, then just go full pelt. But full tilt boogie, baby. Possibly. I, I just don't know if, well, yeah, I don't know if you can really get, I don't, I don't think you can get a, you can get by with uh, going as a Nazi these days. I just think that that's one that's just generally just, avoidable it's like doing black you should face. avoid it yeah like yeah, you you're a bit that. an idiot if you are gonna go to a costume party doing that in the first place so just don't just like don't think of something better like Anne frankenstein which i'm doing now I t- i'm tm in that i'm surprised that you haven't done like uh the bitch of buchenwald or something or a gender bender richard reinhard he- heydrich oh he's my favorite isn't he your favorite i'm uh? not tall enough to be um heydrich 
He's he was very guy. tall. No, and he also had a very um, high voice. I've got a bit more of a masculine voice. But if you could dress up as a Nazi, like if it was like totally cool. Like, if I, I could know. choose one, I would to- the one I would really want to be, who I'm nothing like, is um, Otto Skorzeny, who was like James Bond of the Nazis. I don't even know that guy. We should do a show is on he that like guy. an agent? He- But he was dashing. Dashing and like James Bond. We'll do a show on him one day. He's like, I'll take it shaken, not stirred. Yes, that was actually very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'd probably either do Klaus Barbie again. Oh, yeah, I like Klaus Barbie. Or maybe I would go really obscure and do the subject of uh, what we're going to talk about today in our intro, Himmler's Rasputin, Karl Villigut, Karl Maria yeah. Villigut. I like him. I like that whole thing in like those days, especially in Germany. A lot of them will have like you know, like Kim as the middle name or something like that, a female name. Well, Kim, uh, Kim can go both ways, isn't it? Cause Kim, heard, yeah, yeah. up here and in Wales, like it's like a lot uh, of male Kelly. Kims. It's weird when you meet a male Kelly or though. Shelley. No, Shelley. Can't I've done Shelley. I've, I've known male Shelleys. Have you? Yeah. That's weird. It's a weird name. Yeah, and then when there was that '80s thing as well, wasn't there? When all the boys and girls were swapping names. Yeah, I find it confusing. Keep the male names masculine, female names feminine. Stop culturally appropriating names. <laughs> uh, but Himmler's Rasputin, a lot of people don't know about this guy, Karl Willigut. And uh, Kate prepared an intro here. Well, actually, we both did. Yeah. Tag team this intro. About the SS's Nazi Camelot, which was kind of like Karl Willigut, Himmler's Rasputin, along with Himmler, one of the, the leaders of, yeah. of the Black Camelot. At uh, I've always I always have trouble pronouncing the name of the castle, but Vevelberg. Vevelberg. Yeah, Vevelberg Castle, which you know I believe Harrison actually went there. It is a massive tourist destination now. You know I, I I would love to go there. Definitely, it's it's on the bucket list. I want to do a Nazi tour and go and see all the World War Two stuff. I've always wanted. Oh, to I go think and that'd see. be cool. I've seen like a lot of World War One well, stuff. Well, you've been in to France. Auschwitz. Yeah, I've been to Auschwitz twice. Twice. I could not get enough first time. I was like, I got to go back. Were you just stoned the whole time, just laughing? Uh, The second time I was eating chocolates as I was walking around it. It's that entertaining to me. (sighs) Terrible. talked about it before. No. I I do want to check that out too, but I've I've been to a few Nazi sites, but I bet you if you just run in a car, you can go to like all of them. I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Anyway, Black Camelot. We're going to talk about it. Let's set the scene though first. Because it's this time of year, we're going to talk about how magic, it's all to do with magic and like the Nazis' obsession with it. But like magic as we know it, it's it's normal. It's natural to mankind. It's not supernatural because like the most subtle form of magic that you can think of is like the art of seduction. It's like the power of eye contact, subtle facial expressions and body language. And you could go so far as to say that when somebody's hypnotized, like when you took Big Jair to Vegas, and he got, that's somebody <laughs> casting a spell well, using ma- magic. Yeah, but magic now tells us like a card trick. Yeah. Like a coin trick or something. But the point I'm trying to make the is circles, that. Circles, which I hate. You know those little oh, those metal circles? Uh, the yeah. rings? They're the, same, the, the rings. It really makes me mad. Like I, I get like visibly upset. So, and like magic's really popular at the minute. Like if you go on TikTok, where all the kids are hanging out and the TikToks, you know, things like astrology, which is apparently a form of magic and that, that witchcraft. Yeah, and well, I think Wiccan witchcraft and tarot and all that right now on TikTok is like a big thing. Yeah, totally, completely. And so something I'm into and that's been like still going, been doing it. So Del Rio wrote in the 16th century, 
Natural magic or physical magic is nothing other than the deepest knowledge of the secrets of nature. So ritual magicians, they employ various theatrical ethics to assist them to get into character to perform what is essentially the role of an actor in a play. So this is like, this is very all Aleister Crowley. Hitler himself possessed what you would call ritualistic magical powers. So, you know, he would bring out his emblems, the eagles, the black uniforms. All of these are kind of considered nowadays as like a creative visualization. And it's no different from those that perform ritual magic. Most obvious demonstration of Hitler as a form of a musician, a musician, <laughs> magician, is a he, like he was great on the synths. He was great. On the we, keys. Well, yeah, it was a, So if you look back at the footage of the Nuremberg rallies in 1938, they're practically pagan with all the people, all the fire, all the chanting, and just the way everything looks, all the gold, all the eagles. Yeah, with the symbolism and just like yeah, the the way he orated and everything it did almost seemed like some kind of weird pagan ritual. Completely. Um, but you know what's interesting about a lot of the biographers of Hitler? They're kind of split. They're divided on how I guess how to emphasize the role magic played in Hitler's life and whether or not he believed. Because some some are saying that like, oh no, this this guy practiced magic. He was very superstitious, and he actually wanted to get like the spear of destiny because he believed that would help him win the war. Whereas there's others, like I was reading Alan Bullock, who is a Hitler biographer, rejected any suggestions that Hitler was fascinated with occult knowledge or practice. Um, he said there's no evidence to substantiate the belief that he resorted to astrology. And, um, and he said it was common among Himmler, but he said Hitler is a rationalist and a materialist. What interested Hitler was power, and his belief in providence or destiny was only a projection of his own sense of power. Whereas the biographer John Tolan document a lot of Hitler's superstitious beliefs and practices in the, the biographies that he wrote about Hitler. And he mentioned this one. I'd never heard this before, but apparently he was laying the cornerstone of a modern art museum in Munich in the fall of 30, 1933, and Hitler broke a silver hammer when he struck the cornerstone with it. And according to Tolan, there was like an awkward silence because of a superstition that the architect of the building would die if the hammer broke. And Goebbels, who was there, tried to make light of it, but it was not a joke to Hitler, who was convinced that it was a bad omen. He was very bothered by it. And oddly enough, the architect, Troost, was hospitalized a few days later and died within a few months after. Oh, spooky. Where's your jokes now, Goebbels? Yeah, no, that's the thing. I mean, they, they, Hitler was superstitious. Whether or not he like practiced magic, I think he accepted it and he would use it if it could give him power. But I don't think he was like, yeah, let's see here. Wasn't like Himmler. Yeah, not like Himmler. He was was into it. Oh, my God, was Himmler into it. So we know that the Nazis and especially Hitler, he was completely against organized religion as a whole. They denounced the Catholic God. This is especially after Hitler's mother died of cancer. It was painful. He denounced the God as cruel. And uh, National Socialism, that was going to be the new religion of Germany. But it was the revival of the old religion, meaning uh, paganism, with Hitler declaring, Our peasants have not forgotten their true religion. It still lives. The old beliefs will be brought back to honor again. The peasant will be told what the church has destroyed for him, the whole secret knowledge of nature, of the divine, the shapeless, and the demonic. We shall wash off the Christian veneer and bring out a new religion peculiar to our race. I'm sure that sounded way better in German. (laughs) Well, what's kind of contradictory to that, though, is Hitler was obsessed with Christian artifacts, like the Spear of Destiny, which, you know, the spear that pierced Christ's side, he thought was a talisman of power. And it was like, 
a central pivot in the life of Hitler and the source of his ambitions to conquer the world. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about this because there's several, you know, the Holy Grail being one of them, several artifacts that they searched the whole world for. So it's odd that he denounced Christianity and abhorred the Judeo-Christian religions, but yet sought their talisman? Their things. Yeah. He wants their things. <laughs> it's, it just seems hypocritical. Um, so, like, the new German religion was a religion which I'm probably going to, because the whole time I was read about this, I was like, I was thinking of like the dumplings. It's Wotan or wontons. I get saying it. So Wotan is the, the god of knowledge and the congregation would accept Hitler as their messiah. So Himmler, who I absolutely cannot stand. I think he's the <laughs> biggest of all of Hitler's buffties. I know a lot about like all the Nazis in the Second World War II. I've never once been like, hooray for Himmler. I'm a Heydrich fan. Was Himmler a buffty? Like, he looks know that like for one. Because sure? I thought homosexuals were like also executed. The oh, camp. are you trying to tell me that some Nazis didn't have a double life? Well, no, they no, they definitely yeah. did, and that was proven. But it was Himmler who is like such a high-ranking leader? No, I just don't like him. He's a buffy. <laughs> like him, and actually, you know, if like Heydrich hadn't have bitten the bomb of a Czech freedom fighter, the story might be slightly different because Hitler loved Heydrich. He wanted Heydrich to be his number two, and he was gonna promote him. Himmler was like very like always very coy and was scared of Heydrich. But regardless of all of that, Himmler, these stupid little fucking glasses, he would be one of the main architects for the Holocaust. That's why you don't like him. It's his glasses. It is his little stupid glasses, those nine you know, it takes a strong face to pull off those tiny. Do they glasses. remind you of John Lennon's glasses? Because I know <laughs> yeah. you hate John Lennon too. I actually don't mind John Lennon, despite the wife beating. If I have to uh, If you had to pick one beetle, who would it be? If been? I had to pick a beetle, it probably would be John. Not Ringo? He was the most talented. See, I don't mind Ringo. <laughs> they made him let Ringo sing. It's that Bill Hicks joke. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they were so high, they even let Ringo sing. What did, we, what did uh, John Lennon say? He's like, oh, he's not even the most talented drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he is him, but Ringo is nice. Anyone but Paul fucking McCartney. I hate him. I can't wait for him to die. So Himmler, as we know, he was in charge of the Waffen-SS, which is the military branch of the SS. And uh, like his bufty buddy Hitler, Himmler, he had a vast interest in varieties of occultism and the very friendly Volkisch movement, which is basically the basis for the Aryan movement. Meaning, though, and this is like a really old, like, German thing as well, that goes back centuries. It just means that those born not of the blood and soil of Germany. So, you know, basically, Jews, the Romani people, Jehovah's Witnesses, homosexuals, and other foreign elements... They're all enemies of the mother country and they should be gotten rid of because they are tainting the land and the blood of the people. So this is what it's all based on. So Himmler took elements from this movement, obviously to form the basis of the Holocaust, to form the racial purity movement that drove the Nazis. But he also developed a lot of elaborate and uh, esoteric symbols and rituals into the SS, including the Nazi occult bureau known as the Abenabi or Department of Ancestral Heritage. You know, they changed it to, in 1937 to the Research and Teaching Community of the Ancestral Heritage. It, it's very like Bill Murray in Ghostbusters would well, teach at this. It's kind of like Nazi X-Files, kind of. Yeah, oh my God, Nazi X-Files. <laughs> sort, of uh, sort of what it was. And it, I know that when they changed it in 1937, that innocent title was what underneath which some of the most perverse experiments on, co on concentration camps inmates would occur. We actually did an overkill about all the Nazi science, and it was under this branch of the, uh, the well, SS. It was justified. 
by well, this branch. So yeah. that, well, it was like that, that's what I find interesting. So the Abenerbi was like the, the the majority of the world's scholarly community did not accept Hitler's racial theories and claims about prehistory, and the Nazis decided to give them greater scholarly backing. So that's why they established the Abenerbi for the purpose of providing evidence for these racist beliefs and to promote these ideas to the German public through books, articles, exhibits, and conferences. So they, he recruited scholars that would interpret evidence to fit Hitler's belief, basically. I mean, and, and so they you know, sent people out around the world uh, to ju- basically justify the ancient Aryan race and their theories. And what I find funny about it, I like how Nazis actually use scholars you know, and teachers and professors and things like that to prove a point. Now all it takes is just a meme on Facebook to prove that Hillary Clinton and Tom Hanks are sex trafficking <laughs> children. That's that's all it takes. We don't we don't need to make a Nazi X Files to go do research and you know expeditions to Iceland to prove the existence of the Aryan mythology. Instead, it's just uh, slap a meme up on Facebook and QAnon's like, "Yep, she's a sex trafficker." It happened. Pedophiles. Has it got a minion on it? Yeah, I believe it. So the bureau's senior administrator was uh, run by a totally sane man by the name of SS Colonel Wolfram Sievers. He had a really neatly trimmed uh, black beard. <laughs> Pointy. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like Satan. He really does. There's a picture of like, he's got like the curly cues. I forget what they're called. But the, the pointed beard is just like, oh my God, this guy is Satan. Like he saw the pictures of the devil. It's like, I really like that look. So I do know something about him. Um, he looks like Satan, but there's actually a rumor when he died, he was hanged at um, Nuremberg in 1945. They say that he walked so calmly to the gallows that it was as he was walking into the arms of the Lord of the Underworld, just straight into it, calmly, didn't say anything. But he's, that's you know, like Nuremberg a, law. Yeah, he's got like a special seat in hell, so he's just like, oh, okay. Don't all the SS, though. Yeah, exactly, They're all down there but, having a good time together, reunited. But I think Wolfram had like a special chair, maybe with a plaque on it or something with his name. So prior to the assimilation into the SS in '35, the Abenabi, which is the pseudo-scientific program, was staffed by so-called Nazi academics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You didn't have to be a true scholar. And they're searching for occult symbolisms and meaning. And there was a man named Karl Maria Willigut, Lord of the Runes, Oracle of the Occult, and overall bad, mad, and very dangerous to know. He controlled it all. But if we go back to the beginning a little, which is always the most sensible place to start, Karl Gott, he was born the 10th of December in Vienna, Austria, which is like Hungary at that time in history, in 1866. So he's a Sagittarius ruled by Jupiter, ruled by analytics. His father was one of the Roman Catholic faiths, but he was also a follower of the German Volkisch movement, and that would obviously play a role later on in his life. He attended a military academy between 1880 and 1883, and then he would be conscripted into the Austro-Hungarian army, serving as an infantryman in Serbia. In 1989, he joined the, oh God, do you say it for me? Lodge Society. The Schlafria Lodge Society. I thank you. Let the man make the big words. I cannot do it. In 1903, he published his first books, um, Seyfried's Runen, which is a collection of stories and laws surrounding ancient Germanic runes. Under the pen name, he chose this name, Karl Maria Willigut Lobosam. 
I tried to look up what Lubasan might have meant because I thought it had a cool meanings or purposes, but it's I just don't know. Yeah, I just I think he, he, who knows, it could have been his favorite like singer or parlor but it's man. Like, but he's not like concealing his identity because no, his real just, name is, is also just, in there. Yeah, he just added a name it at the end. Must mean something. So in 1908, he published his second book, Nuren Gobotigots, and this is translated as The Nine Commandments of God, and it's about the study of um, Ermanism. Ermanism is as boring as it sounds. It's about the study study of a German deity, um, Ermin, which is a relic that was worshipped and then destroyed centuries ago. Well, that's the thing with with Villegut. I mean, he he was whacked. He's a mental, complete metal, mentalist. I mean, he's like an oracle, thought he had magic powers. He claimed to be in a tradition of a long line of Germanic mystic teachers reaching back into prehistoric times. He said to have spiritual powers that allowed him to direct access to the genetic memories of his ancestors thousands of years in the past. He also claimed that the Bible had originally been written in Germanic, and he testified to the Erminic religion. And he claimed to to worship a Germanic god named Christ, K-R-I-S-T. Oh, like Chris Novoselic from uh, the Nirvana. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. You know, I wonder if he's a reincarnation. Well, he must be. It's a shame he had to be in Nirvana, though. <laughs> hey. uh, but Christianity was supposed to have later appropriated Christ as their own savior, Christ, which Christianity did borrow pretty heavily from a lot of religions at the time. It did. Now, according to Villegas, Germanic culture and history reached back to the year two hundred twenty-eight thousand BC. And he proposed at this time that there are three suns, <laughs> an earth inhabited by giants, Ooh. dwarfs, and other mythical creatures. He knows this because he can communicate with the ancestors from thousands of years ago. That sounds fucking fun and not all like you're a mentalist. <laughs> it sounds really believable. You know, why not just lead lead the Abenerbi? You, you're obviously the smartest person. You got a direct line to your ancestors. You 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 take charge. Yeah, let's just, he doesn't even mention the dinosaurs. But it's fine for like dwarves. <laughs> dwarves were knocking about that. That would make giants. you happy. Yeah. So he did marry. He had two children, a boy and a girl, um, but his son didn't survive. Very common at the time, dying in infancy before the age of three. It was around this time that he began preaching that he was a direct descendant of ancient god kings and the death <laughs> of his boy. It doubly saddened him because he had lost his male heir, so he couldn't pass down all his knowledge because, you know, women back then were just, you know, <sighs> useless. wear your skirts, darling, and just like do your embroidery by the fire. That's it. He served during World War One on the southern and eastern fronts, and he retired in 1919 as a colonel. And this is when his occult studies just like because he had so much spare time. So he just like turned his attention to the occult. His wife, who is a very sensible woman, she didn't believe in his claims to royal lineages or anything about like the earth having free sons or dwarfs or giants. And he actually slowly became physically abusive towards her. I wonder if he was just like, hold on a second. I'm getting a message here <laughs> from my great, 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 great grandfather. He says, you're a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Bang. Punched. <laughs> Uh, so in 1924, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, very unsurprisingly. <laughs> he was found incompetent, and he was placed into a Salzburg asylum, where he remained until approximately 1927. But his family actually didn't break apart until 1932, and that's when his wife just upsticked and moved to Munich, Germany. So she like stuck around with him till then. And that was when he left the door open for a bespeckled Himmler to discover this master of the dark arts. Recruiting straight from the asylum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the frozen body of SS Obernsturmfuhrer, 
I'm sorry, I am butchering these, but you know, like, what are you going to do about shoot me? Uh, they're not easy to say. Yeah. Um, Otto Rahn, he was discovered on um, Kufstein Mountain on the 13th of March, 1949. Now, the assumption was that he had actually died from exposure after he got lost in a blizzard. It was known that it could, at the time it could have taken weeks to die for exposure because that time of year, the weather, Ron, he was fit, he was trained in survival to the highest degree, and he was an excellent, experienced mountain climber. He was also said to be suspicious that he had died just a few weeks after he had resigned from the SS, the very same month that his colleague, uh, Carl Willigut, was also forced to resign hmm. and be put under protection of the Gestapo. So was it possible that both of them shared a secret? After all, they do say that two of you can keep a secret if one of you is dead. Or did Ran fall to his death in search of the ultimate Christian symbol, something Hitler had been in dogged pursuit of? And this is the Holy Grail. Well, Himmler. Himmler, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Hitler, Himmler. Well, you know, I think Hitler, they are like brothers, I forget. But Hitler, too, supported his crusade. Anything Himmler wanted, Hitler like would say grail. yes to. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, he like, fully believed him and you know, put a lot of stock in his theories. But this is what I was saying for, for a you know, a, a group who just despised Christianity, despised Judaism, despised, despised their, you know, their gods and uh, the Judeo-Christian ethic, their most coveted relics were directly related to Jesus, uh, such as the famous Ghent altarpiece, the Spear of Destiny, and above all, the Holy Grail. So the Ghent altarpiece, which um, I had heard of, but I never really read that much about it, uh, but the, the whole quest for the Holy Grail began with a rather bizarre art theft that scholars today are still baffled by. It's called the Ghent Altarpiece, also known as the Adoration of the Mystic Lamb. Ooh. And this is the first major oil painting in Western art. It was painted by a famous Belgian artist, Jan van Eyck, in the 1420s. And it's actually a series of paintings, kind of like uh, what Hieronymus Bosch did, you know, those like different series of it. Yeah, I'll, right. I'll put a picture up on the site. Uh, but it's a series of paintings which form a rich, and bizarre symbolic history of Christianity, from Adam and Eve on the outside panels to the sacrifice of the symbol of Christ, a lamb, towards the middle. And it's full of symbolism. A Hitler in his second command, Hermann Göring, coveted the Ghent altarpiece above all other works of art. It was the primary objective of the, I'm going to butcher this, Einsub Reichsleiter Rosenberg, Rosenberg, or Reichsleiter Rosenberg Task Force, uh, to find it. In fact, when it was stolen, the two Nazi soldiers to find it raced to see who could grab it first. And Goring actually stole the painting from Hitler again okay. after they recovered it. And then Hitler had ordered the painting to be returned where it was stored in salt mines until it was discovered after the war. Now, the reason it was so desired is kind of odd. The art itself symbolized the sort of high Germanic art that the Nazis wanted to use to reinforce the myth of Aryan superiority. The other reason that Hitler wanted the piece so bad was that he thought it contained a symbolic map inside for finding the Arma Christi. And as, after all, the very center of the masterpiece of the Lamb is bleeding onto the Holy Grail. I think is that not evidence then that Hitler was kind of into the occult? He definitely was. I, I mean, yeah. he was obviously, you know, uh, completely obsessed with powers, megalomaniac. And I think any, so he's got these, his advisors saying, well, if you get that spirit of destiny, dude, it's all over for the yeah. allies. You mate. get the Holy Grail, you're living forever. All right. And so the Arma Christi, which translates to the weapons of Christ, are known as the instruments of the passion. They consist of the cross, the crown of thorns, the spear of destiny, the holy sponge, 
<laughs> which was used to give Christ Wait, that, gall and vinegar. Is that what he douched with? <laughs> Somebody used as his tampon. <laughs> Should have stuck that in his side holes. Um, yeah, it's his prophylactic. He yeah. shoved the holy sponge up there. Um, but yeah, it was used to give Christ gall and vinegar when he was thirsty. The nails of the cross, the pillar where Jesus was flailed, and the flail, and the most important of all, the Holy Grail. And so the primary focus of the Nazi expeditions around the world uh, was to recover the Holy Grail and any of the Arma Christi that they could find. Um, And Hitler and the Abenerbi believed that acquiring these treasures would lead to a supernatural performance by the German army and immortality for their leader. So we're talking about like why why they wanted the Grail, but you know the Grail was actually not considered Christian at all. This is to the Germans. Well, this is what the, Hitler well, exactly. and this the is how they justified. I mean, they they knew it was, but they justified like, well, you know, it wasn't really Christian. Yeah, because to them, Jesus wasn't a Jew. He was actually an Aryan. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> it was Nazi belief that Orthodox Christianity bore no relation to the true teachings of Jesus. And their doctrine kind of asserted that the Catholic Church had appropriated these principles as a way to enrich the church at the people's expense. And people still argue that point to this very day, do they not? Well, so there's this prehistorian. I think I'll get into him later. I forget his name. It was like a Dutch Dutch prehistorian named Hermann Wirth. And uh, Himmler was really worshipped this guy's ideas. And Himmler definitely was like, you know, he could easily be influenced. <laughs> you don't he, say. He found something that kind of like fit with his skewed philosophy. He's just like, let's go with this. And so he was interested in the pre-Christian religions of Northern Europe, believing that a modern pagan religion modeled on them could completely replace Christianity as the primary religion of the German people because most Germans were Christian. Yes. Most of them didn't want, to, I mean, they had like pagan, you know, uh, beliefs and symbols and things like that that they used, but they were Christian. And so the goal of the Nazis was to replace Christianity, but they had to have something plausible, something believable. And so Himmler disliked Christianity mainly because of the Semitic origins, its presentation of Jesus of Nazareth as a Jew, its advocacy of charity and compassion. Well, (laughs) Nazis are completely against that. Yeah, of course. (laughs) But what's funny is later, Himmler privately told his personal physician, this is on record, that after the Second World War, the old Germanic gods will be restored. Oh, like Ehrman. Yeah, like Ehrman, like Wukong. Yeah. So the Holy Grail is quite a pagan idea. I mean, a lot of symbols Christianity are a pagan well, idea. Well, because I think they adopted so heavily from like the pagan religions at the yeah. time. But they would say it po- was also possibly stolen by the church just to be a symbol. Hitler probably, um, Himmler, sorry, he might have wanted it to embarrass the church, but also the idea that he could channel invincibility through cosmic forces was very appealing for <laughs> Himmler and his Waffen-SS army. So he sent Otto Rahn. He went all over Europe searching for the object, all on Hitler's dime, while the Holocaust was raging quietly beneath them. Apparently, he didn't take his task very seriously. He only agreed to Himmler's demands because his quest guaranteed him three square meals a day and he had unlimited expenses. Whatever the reason, he actually soon began to regret it as the eccentric, unpredictable, and very intolerable Karl Maria Villegut put immense pressure on him to produce results. Yeah, he was definitely under a lot of pressure from Karl because Karl was like the leader, you know, at the time. Yeah, what, he was what, like a high-ranking his official. Boss. Him and Karl and him were as well were bufty buddies. They were just like boys. They were in the group chat roasting everyone else, and you had to get past Karl to get to Himmler. So was was Otto Ron in any of the Indiana Jones movies? He must have been. As like maybe a side character. Yeah, but I mean, as 
Indiana Jones is searching for these these yeah. relics. There were Nazis like in the Last Crusade and in uh you know Raiders Temple of Lost of Ark. Doom. And Temple of Doom, I mean, there were Nazis going after these. I don't know about Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom was oh, that Indian Oh, no, that's Indian Kalima. Religion. Yeah, yeah. Kalima. Um, but in Raiders Lost Ark, there was, like, German expeditions to Egypt, which must have been led by Ron, to get the, the Ark. It might the have been based on him, yeah. It's all very Indiana Jones. I, I can't, you know, I haven't seen it in a long time. There must have been a character based on him. But, yeah, the, the expeditions are kind of fascinating. I mean, they sent people all over the world. So in, in the 30s, 1934, Himmler met the Dutch prehistorian Hermann Wirth, who was then living in Germany, and uh, he was a Nazi propagandist. And Wirth was one of the most controversial prehistorians in Germany. After examining symbols found in rural Frisian folk art, he became convinced that they represented the survival of an ancient script used by a prehistoric Aryan Nordic civilization. And he felt that the script was the world's oldest written language and had been the basis for all other ancient scripts. So he believed if you could decipher it, you can learn the nature of the ancient religion of the Aryan race, the first real religion. That's such bullshit, though, because like there's very few, if anything, written written evidence from like even the Vikings. They didn't write shit down. I know. This well, is how I would have got back at this guy. Well, he's saying it was like before the Vikings. Because they weren't writing shit down, mate. Were they? Well, were they? Oh, were they? <laughs> <laughs> the first expedition by the Abernerby. And this this is the thing. It's like the Abernerby under Himmler's orders were like, all right, where can we find all the Armour Christi? Just go around the world. But so the first, the main thing that they wanted to find, though, was the Holy Grail. That was the, that was the main thing. And so uh, the first expedition was to find pagan sorcerers who may have clues to the past religions and their chants. So Himmler directed an expedition to the Calaria in Finland. Um, to study Finnish pagans who were still practicing at the time. He even took, this is interesting too, because they, they had a lot of technology, an early sound recorder to record their chants so they could decipher them later. Oh, wow. Uh, during, on this expedition, they came across a witch by the name of Miron Aku, who claimed to have predicted their arrival. And she was a Finnish soothsayer psychic who foretold the arrival of Himmler and the, and the Nazis. 93-year-old w- witch who had been living in this small Finnish village. When the Nazis found her, she said, you came to me in my sleep. And wanted to take away my secrets. Since then, I've been sick and will die soon. What do you want from me? And through a series of rituals, she was said to have summoned ancient ancestors in front of them. That's pretty cool. But I just want to give a shout out to Finland here. Because what you know about the Second World War is without them, we would not have won the Second World War without Finland. So thanks, guys. It's not because of the Americans. Take that look off your face. Debatable. It was the Soviets. Debatable. And especially the, the Finnish. Yeah, I think it was the, without the Americans' weapons, you guys would be Zeke Highland right now. <laughs> Scandinavia in the Second World War are pretty much the unsung heroes of World War II. Sort of. Norway gave up a lot of Jews. I'm they not just talking about that. Did. In fighting, Sweden was great as well. Like, well, they it's, sent it's troops. It's a huge, massive, like... It's basically like a, a massive Siberia. They're not going to be able to conquer it. Plus, there's no real reason for the Nazis to conquer Finland other than a symbolic victory that we got all of Europe. Well, I mean, so no. Then you can come down to the top, and you and you can also get into Russia. Freeze to do it. I think they're well, just they going like, eh, I'd rather go they? conquer France. Yeah. But so over the next 10 years, after being fortified by finding the witch, whose ancestors were like, no, you get the armor Christie's out there. Here's where you should look. They mounted expeditions around the world. Egypt, Sweden, Poland, Iceland, Italy, France, Ukraine, Crimea, Tibet, and even Antarctica, which is bizarre. Isn't in Antarctica where they said that they found the UFO, evidence of the UFO? So they claim, but there's so no claim. real evidence. I know, but... they'd also seen the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we were talking, uh, I can't remember when, but I know uh, 
Harrison, Harrison and I did this topic a while ago, but Harrison actually went to the Louis de Troy Ferrer. It's a, a cave where there's like, there's uh, actual drawings from cavemen. They're supposed to, the caves of Dordogne, which are there, are supposed to like right, yeah, give I insight as to where the grail might be buried. And uh, yeah, they went, they went there. And then they went to uh, the Font de Gomme, uh, where the Magnon cave paintings were, La Teat, La Muth, and the Caves of Dordogne. Um, Wagner inspired uh, uh, Himmler to go to the marvelous castle of Mont Sulfat in the Pyrenees. And Wagner himself based the idea that the Grail may be in France based on the lines from a medieval troubadour named Wolfram von Eschenbach. And people said the Knights Templar also put it in France as well. So that's why they, I mean, they really did go all around the world looking for these artifacts. Just insane if you think about you know, it. This is all what happens when it's life before the internet and you're spending too much time with your men friends and they're just roasting you. They're saying, hey, hey, buddy. If you come to this really random cave, guess what you're going to find? The grail. And they're like, ha, ha, ha. Off they go. I don't know. I've always, of course, you know, I despise the Nazis and I think the world's great without them. <laughs> um, however, I did always kind of admire that wars wa waging, they weren't even winning often, <laughs> yeah. oftentimes. And they're just like, yeah, go to Egypt with the whole crew and find the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. All right. Unlimited so, expenses, guys. <laughs> yeah, they were just doing this <laughs> yeah. like around the world. Kind of amazing, actually. It's just so stupid. But we'll all, we also <laughs> never know about what goes on in modern wars, where they're like, yeah, and we sent these guys to go off and find this weapon of mass destruction that we all know doesn't exist, but unlimited expenses, guys. Well, like a weapon, though, from, like, mythological lore, you know, from the Bible. Like, <laughs> but, I mean, the we were talking about this earlier, but finding the Holy Grail was kind of a win-win situation for them. Yeah, totally. You know, Because you can denounce religion on it with one hand and be like, if it doesn't work, and then if it does work, hey, guess who the fuck guess is invincible? Guess who's immortal now. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so you can find this thing and be like, oh, it's just a tin cup. They lied to you. You know, that religion is just based on lies. The Germanic religions, these are the real ones, the old Germanic gods. Or you could be like, oh, shit, I guess I'm immortal now. Well, it wins either way, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. So... Himmler, who I said, him and Carl, they're really good friends. You know, they definitely went on holidays and, like, spent time together and, like, went down into, like, you know, their basements, see each other's drill presses. Probably went fishing every weekend. Maybe a bit of hunting, they're too. Buds. They're fucking best buds. They have, like, a secret WhatsApp group that none of the other SS guards are allowed in. They traveled together in September of 33. Shortly after Carl had joined the SS, they were just best friends instantly. They both traveled to inspect the, I am going to say this, help me say it again, the Castle Weiselberg? Wevelsberg. Wevelsberg, near Paderborn, Germany. So this castle is chosen because of the legend of the Battle of the Birch Tree and the nearby um, Exterstein stone formation. It's also sitting on several ley lines, which means that the Earth's energies, they, they're kind of concentrated there on a the ley line. You can like look them up if you're into that. And it just means that magic rituals make this castle the perfect SS Black Camelot. And so it was mainly Villiget who uh, who prophesied that this castle was special to them for their magical rituals. He believed that there are ancient Germanic settlements in the Black Forest, and he mounted expeditions to ruins located deep within the woods. He also laid out a series of prophecies which led Himmler to select Wevelsberg Castle as the headquarters for the paranormal wing of the SS, the Love Nazi X-Files. Uh, he also chose the site because he believed it was the center of cultic energy based on the reading of ancient runes. In fact, Willie had still considered by many to have been an accomplished rune magician. 
Well, like he he invent- I think I talk about it later on, but he definitely invents his own rune language, and his second book was about runes. But this castle, this is the place where mankind's most murderous maniacs, they created a Nazi Camelot. It's where the deaths of millions were plotted by torchlight behind walls that were six feet thick. The castle, what, what is it? <laughs> Vevelsberg. Vevelsberg. You know, it's because it's spelt with a wee-e, wee-e. I keep wanting to say Weewellsburg. I want to say Weewellsburg. It sounds so British when you Vevelsburg. say to the cattle, Weewellsburg. Yeah. So Third Reich historian um, Philipp Meyer, um, he once said that Himmler developed the corps into one of the Nazis' most powerful organizations and its spiritual center was Wesselsburg. <laughs> Wesselsburg. Wevelsburg. Wevelsburg. <laughs> just these. <laughs> it's just these. It's just these. Legend tells it that the castle would be the last surviving stronghold against a furious future assault from the hordes to the east and the only true Germans would be safe behind its walls. So the castle was actually in very poor state when Himmler turned his attention towards it in 1934. Didn't stop him from signing a 100-year lease, spending several million Reichsmarks restoring and decorating the castle, you know, with friendly stuff like swastikas and Nazi symbols, with uh, thousands of concentration camp inmates dying in the process because they're the ones that they enslaved, of course. Well, they had to renovate it and yeah. do all the work in it. Hmm, yeah. Where can we get some free uh, slaves from? Get some labor. So each each of the sites within the castle, it was furnished in a style befitting of the German heroes, of course. It was adorned with richly embroidered tapestries, heavy brocade and velvet curtains, ornate antique furniture carved from solid oak and plush red carpets. This kind of sounds like I want to live here, though. <laughs> sounds nice. Your dream house. Yeah, this is definitely my dream house. He had chairs made of pigskin with the SS lightning fra- flashes branded into them and the silverware all matched and all had the same SS flashes. I love it. You got to continue a theme. I wonder if so I know this place is a tourist attraction. It was rec- it was renovated in like 2010. But do, do they still have the chairs? No. Um I imagine all that's gone. We'll talk about what happens yeah. to the castle, but a lot of it is gone. So Inside of this castle, pagan rituals, they were embraced with one circular chamber room being known as the crypt with a large flame at the center and the 12 chairs surrounding it. So the 12 chairs, the number, it represents the sign of the Zodiac and each bore the name of the um, like the head of the SS who would sit there. Himmler sat at the head, but he's thought that the mystical number of 13, because it'd be 13 of them altogether, was because of two things. Possibly a parody of Judas and the Twelve Disciples, or because of the witch cult hypothesis, which Himmler was very fond of, which stated that which stated that twelve witches and the devil were present at all um, Sabbath ceremonies. So Himmler thought Bevelsberg was a center of mystic power, but it was it was the number twelve, the the mystical number twelve, which I never really thought that that was that mystical number, but it was twelve officers became the new knights of the Round Table and performed occult rites in celebration of the National Socialist State. Um, the SS was divided into 12 departments with 12 leaders. There were 12 pedestals in the castle vault and 12 spokes in the black sun, which was the symbol on the floor that represented the 12 SS knights. So we were talking about this like circular room with all its 12 nonsense. <laughs> so directly below this room... Um, which was known as the Great Hall or the Crypt, like a huge stone circular vault known as the Realm of the Dead. So this housed 12 12 pedestals, each in like a niche and raised above a hollow shaft. 
So this was the like the kind of place where the fallen knights were to find their eternal rest when their time came. In the event that the, you know their bodies couldn't be recovered from like war sites and buried there, the coat of arms would be burnt in their place and their ashes placed in a porcelain urn. And here it was hoped that future generations of the Thousand Year Reich would worship their fallen leaders. It's it's crazy that he was so I guess to idolize King Arthur in the Arthurian legends. It's a, it's a famous legend, though. I think if you it were is, to go yeah. to like you know anywhere and mention kind of King Arthur, people would the be like, "Oh, Camelot." And, yeah. yeah, Camelot. But I think I had read too that Himmler thought he was a reincarnated uh, Arthurian knight named Hen- Lord Henry Fowler. Why do they all believe they're a reincarnation of like a king, and I not have a little no sweep, city sweep, seat sweeper? But he believed that after the final victory of the German people, Wevelsburg would be the spiritual center of the world. A world owned and dominated by the Nazis. And the SS would become the priests of the New World. So before campaigns, the leading SS commanders were called to the castle to be prepared spiritually to lead. Uh, members of the SS were issued by Himmler with rings engraved with skulls and mystic symbols. And so when a member of the SS died, these death's head rings were bought to Wevelsburg and placed in a casket. Nice. Rings of power. So on the ground floor of the tower, and I'm going to put a picture of this, the, the 12 columns joined by a groin vault was constructed for meetings of the Obergruppenführer, which is like the high-ranking SS generals, basically the Camelot Knights. And it's centered on this dark green sun wheel, the Sonnenrad, believed to represent the center of the Germanic world empire. Um, an account by SS General Karl Wolf referred to the meeting at the Obergruppenführer, in which he compared Himmler to playing like King Arthur, surrounded by the Knights of the Round Table. It's just such fun, isn't it? <laughs> it's like he's a cosplayer. They're all cosplayers. Oh my god, they cosplay. They're reenacting something. They're, they're doing it. Yeah, it's, but with you their know, little black reminds, outfits and reminds me of that film, The Keep. It is kind. Of, yeah, it is kind. Of, well, it's kind of keeping. You know, the Keep, though, if you think about it, they were. They had heard that there was something in that castle. That they went to, and I forget where that was. Is it Romania or something? So, yes, yeah, but I, I think yeah. the, they were. Uh, well, there, there were regular Nazi soldiers, but there were also like the Waffen SS commanders that were in there to try to harness this power. The keep. Who, who, I forget who directed that movie. I don't know who directed it. Good I, I like that movie though. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So during the 1930s, throughout this whole time, SES, SES. <laughs> SS, I cannot speak today, archaeologists, genealogists, anthropologists, um, they conducted um, research at Vessels, but for fuck's sake, at the castle, to try to break up Himmler's theories on the supremacy of the Aryan race. And when war broke out, the knights would meet as Himmler held court wearing full medieval costume. (laughs) Yeah, that's a... Yeah, because we were saying, because he believed he was a reincarnation of a medieval king. Cosplayer. Yeah, whilst at the same time, a very conventional historian, Otto, who didn't believe any of this nonsense, was, and I do say this loosely, searching for the grail. Because I don't believe he was searching very fucking hard at all. Yeah, but do you think Otto, so Otto Braun was just pocketing the money, but do you think he just thought it was all like... You know, nonsense. Of, yeah, a bunch of nonsense, a bunch of guff. Yeah, so his writings back to Willy Gut, him and, you know, Himmler's Rasputin, and there was plenty to write about because, you know, he'd been set far away as Iceland in his search. They were usually very dry, very academic. There was no, like, memes being sent in the boys' chat. It was just like, I'm here. This is how it's going. So um, Willingut, who had, by this point had been bestowed the title of head of the Department of Prehistory by the spring of 35, he was part of Himmler's personal staff, and he helped him create this Black Camelot. 
Well, didn't he he designed the Death's Head rings? He he designed the Death's Head yeah. rings, and he did had a lot to do with like the architecture in general of the castle. So I'm just calling it the castle from now on. You all know what I'm talking about. I just can't say it. <laughs> so Himmler made his displeasure at the lack of the Grail evidence known, and he gave Otto until Halloween, <laughs> October the 31st, 1936. You've got to provide some occult artifacts or at least a tangible reason that Germany had rights to the lands of the East, i.e. Russia. They're wanting to invade. And um, we all know how that turned out. So you've got to produce some results, Otto. You know, that would have, there's a lot of pressure on Otto here during that Spooktober. He must, have, he must have remembered that Spooktober. There's oh a lot of pressure there, a lot of stress. is getting on. So, you know, Otto, conventional historian, he actually did create a report, and it's titled Lucifer's Court, which proved how much he wanted to please his leader by attempting to kind of legitimize the Nazis' rejection of Orthodox Christianity. So we were talking before Williger. He's a man who believed that with his knowledge of runes, that he had access to 20,000 years worth of Teutonic history. His relatives. Yeah, which enabled him to tap into what Jung called the collective unconsciousness. He actually deemed this paper, Lucifer's Court, as preposterous. So it's funny that this man <laughs> thought something was preposterous. The mentalist. The mentalist. The guy who can, who can communicate with like thousands-year-old ancestors. Um, and who was, you know, put into an insane asylum. Yeah. He was committed. But this paper was preposterous. preposterous. So he, at this point as well, he had also convinced Himmler that Ermanism was the religion of ancient Germanic peoples and thus was the one true religion. So this is how much power he has over Himmler. His philosophies, they began to weigh heavily in the occult practices of the SS with his distinctive rituals, oaths, and insignia that he all helped develop with Himmler. Uh, I bet they did it after they'd finished kissing for the night. Every SS man was made to understand that he was more than merely a member of an elite fighting unit. He was actually part of a secret religious order, a superior being in a universe existing beyond the human concepts of good and evil. Well, the thing is, Williget was in a lot of these like occult groups, these like Masonic Yes. Orders. So I think what he was trying to do is create his own. Probably. But I, I think this man truly believed it. Whereas Himmler. No, he definitely did. I think Himmler had a passing interest in everything, but I think Himmler was very devoted. And it was in this kind of world of madness. I mean, in this world, that madness found Carl Willigut again. In 1938, he was committed to a mental institution as an embarrassed Himmler arranged for his retirement on grounds of poor health. And his role with the SS just ended in August of 39, just before the outbreak of World War II. And he, the return of his SS honoring, which he helped design, and honored Dagon, they were requested as per SS regulations. Oh, God, what a bummer. I bet you'd be like, no, not my ring. I know, took his rings, took his dignity. I, I think it's funny, too, that it's like, what do they think? Schizophrenia is just going to go away? I've kind of, there's different theories as to what about his mental institution, because obviously Otto Rahn, I do believe was murdered to keep some secrets and who knows what Carl knew well that's the thing I mean yeah. especially in his position within the Waffen SS oh he was very powerful yeah. so he had a brief stay in Salzburg and then he moved to Arolsen in central Germany where he passed away in January 46 following complications from a stroke so as the allies closed in Order, um, Himmler ordered his Camelot to be destroyed, but its thick walls, you know, I said they were six six feet thick before, which he had once sought protection in, they would betray him. The interior was completely torched, turned to ashes, not much, if anything, survived, but the exterior suffered but a scratch. 
still stands to this day. It's now part museum and tourist attraction. Harrison went there. And yeah, it, I, I definitely want to check it out. I'd love to go. Yeah. It has yielded up most of its war secrets, bar one. Okay, this is the, my favorite part. This is the Indiana yeah. Jones part coming. Himmler ordered that the silver death head, death head rings of the SS men who fell in battle be returned to the castle. He, so he hid them there, either in a secret dungeon or in a cave in the surrounding countryside. These 11,000 11, rings are now said to be worth 50 million, and they are pursued relentlessly by treasure hunters. But we'll do that story another day. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if if it's still like, you know, um, if, if people regularly hunt for these rings in that area, or if by oh. now it's kind of like, well, you remember they were saying like the Nazi gold, the trains of Nazi gold and things like that. Like, Are people still... You know, searching for these on a regular basis, or is it like a couple treasure hunters here? No, and there? I th- I follow this guy. I mean, he's a rather dry guy, but he's very British, very nice. Called Mark Felton, and he's a World War Two historian on YouTube. He just does little quick videos, which is what I like. It's like ten minutes. You've got a Nazi topic. I remember he did a video about the SS Death Head Rings, and that was one of the first time I heard about people are still going and looking for these rings and people will go to the museum and spend well to the castle and spend like a week staying in the area looking i love but, it so, wait no one's got a fucking metal detector it could be well, that of course hard to they find do. i think this could also be him the law because that's you know the nazis are all up to that saying like oh wasn't it the train Trickery. that was full yeah of, that's what i'm saying the train, the train full of gold. yeah but they did actually find evidence of the train but there was not as much gold on it as what they thought so i always think there's a bit of smoke and like cloak and daggers and all that where he was like possibly i took them so what happens if you like let's say you went to germany you found the rings well first i would keep i would have 10 i would keep 10 one for every finger wouldn't you just so you could wear them around and oh my god badass. yeah i've always wanted one but a real one i've always wanted to have they're expensive though yeah i've seen of them course. Come up, seen them come up in auction a few times and if i'd have ever had the silly money i would have bought one but i mean what, so you find these who who are you going to sell them to like germany well, you know, there's militia buyers and takers. Like, that's how you just sell them to Germany. I'm pretty yeah, sure I mean, a lot would German- go into a museum. Yeah, but I mean, would they have to buy them for you or you have to give it to them? If you were nice, you would just give them to a museum. But no one's going to be nice when you have your hands on like 50 million worth of uh, jewels. You're going to yeah, sell I guess them. the highest bidder. I would sell them in like parts of time. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Probably. Interesting. Well, it's been a while since we've done a Nazi topic, and that was a good one. Black Ham a lot. You know, I always love the Nazi topics. Yeah. You know, I try to do them from time to time. You know, kind of keep the the, the listeners on their toes, (laughs) you know, informed of the Nazis. Um, But, yeah, Black Ham a lot's interesting, and I think it's it's definitely high on my list of of, uh, Nazi landmarks to see when I'm in Germany. Uh, people, this is episode 813 here at Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. Remember, there's two more weeks of the spookiest time of the year. We want your spooky stories. We want some ghost stories. A lot of people, like, will call in and tell us, like, oh, yeah, you know, or not call in, like, they'll comment that they've had, like, oh, it's in Salem and this weird thing happened. It's like, yeah, call it in. We want to hear it. 323-522-4032. And if it's over three minutes, it's going to be put on Patreon. Um... Before we get to our first call, though, uh, here is a word about our Patreon page. Hey, guys, it's Steven again. Just calling from heaven through a miracle of cybernetic processes. Just to say, thanks for creating your Patreon page. 
I love to kick back and smoke a fat one with my boy Carl Sagan. While we listen to the extra phone calls and stories we get all the time. Anyway, talk soon. Love you. Bye. So we've got a few phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is that number. Um, these aren't necessarily spooky. Well, I guess uh, I guess that's up to your interpretation, whether they're spooky or not. Um, here's one about a vaccine, very spooky vaccine. Hey, B&K. Uh, just calling about some random stuff. I called a couple of times and left a comment on Patreon about... <laughs> My brother eating his uh, tonsil stones. Pretty fucking disgusting. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. His, his brother ate his fucking tonsil stones. He would just get them and eat them. That's so minging. Ah, didn't uh, Joe Kelly would get tonsil stones? Did he say that's why he had his tonsils removed? Yeah, he said he was embarrassed by them. Yeah, he said it smelled like really bad. Honestly, mine never smelled. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't know because I have a, a terrible olfactory sense, but I also had my tonsils removed like a normal kid, like age eight. Yeah, you shouldn't actually have your tonsils removed because you need your tonsils. Because you need stinky stones. You need stinky stones. But, uh, oh, I work for this uh, older lady on the side on the weekend, and she's like a, a right wing kind of nut. And I just do like odd jobs, like moving shit around her house and stuff. and couple weeks ago she uh texted me or called me she was like hey i have a a plan that you need to try out to make sure you don't get covid the doctor uh got it approved for me and i want to send it to you and make sure you and your wife are taking it and i was like okay yeah you can send it over and you know i'd have been like okay joe rogan i'm not (laughs) taking your horse dewormer buddy i don't know next thing he's gonna call it rogan milk like, I, bet, I bet you if Rogan made Rogan milk and just jacked off in like a little test tube and sent it to people, bros would drink it a for lot the power. Of, do you know how many people would actually probably want that? Just Rogan milk? Just Rogan milk in general, yeah. I don't know. Or we could call it Rogaine. Oh. I'll take a look at it and see if it's anything different or whatever. And she's like, oh, yeah, just just a bunch of vitamins and to, taking them daily and to make sure you take a – ivermectin and i was like oh shit that's a deal one of these people and she was all like i called around so many doctors to get prescribed ivermectin and she found one so she fucking sent me like a list of like just a bunch of like random ass vitamins and like uh and then like the doctor's like business card with his number and everything and 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 his he was like yeah he'll get he'll send you the prescription for ivermectin no worries you just let him know what you need it for and uh, well, what does he think you need it for? Are you say like, oh, my horse has worms? Hint, hint. <laughs> I wonder how many doc. You know, I think it's probably regional, but I wonder how many doctors are actually just like, yeah, sure, I'll prescribe it to you. Like, do you go to a vet? Like uh, you got to go for a vet. Only a vet has horse dewormer. A doctor's not gonna have horse dewormer. You got to ring up a vet and say, I've got a horse and need some dewormer. I imagine. Well. I mean, most vets can be bought, can't they? So they probably don't give a shit. They probably just jack the price of it and say, yeah, it's 500 yeah. quid a tablet. Here's my special brand of ivermectin. And people will buy it. Uh, I was thinking, like, man, I think a lot of people are, like, getting sick and shit from it, so it's whatever. 
And then I heard the, I don't know if you played the Wads call on, on the episode or on the, on Patreon, but man, his ass reminds me of every fucking uh, Arab mix that I grew up with, because I'm a mix as well. The same mix, white and the Palestinian dad. But all of them are fucking wild ass. My dad's the same as a fucking wild ass dude. And uh, before I hit, before I hit three minutes, uh, episode uh, 804, I don't know if Kate tried to sneak in the, uh, what did she call it, a VART? But I was listening and it was what, an hour, 13 minutes and 37 seconds. You can hear like a, and I was, I was thinking, I was like, what the fuck is that? So check it out. If I'm wrong, let me know. All right. See ya. Keep it sticking wrong. It was probably me. I have a history of doing that. Yeah, there's an old um, Fistful of Steel on the Patreon. And I was listening to it one day. I was trying to find a soundbite so I could put it into an episode. And you audibly just fucking fart. I just ripped one. And it's like a proper, proper, like, is what you would imagine is like a comedic, like, stock noise of a fart. <laughs> steel pauses for one, one I second. I didn't even recognize it. I thought, I, I thought anyone would think, but then Steel just carries on. And it's so funny. Yeah, I forget where it is or which episode it was. It was a while ago. But the, there was a listener, an eagle-eyed listener, who was like, put the timestamps, like, B-farts at, like, 24.06. But I, I think that's hilarious. You know, I wonder, do farts make a fart noise? No, they don't, because they've been generated through. Yeah, but if they go inside your vagina when it's coming out of your vagina, does it make a little, like, like oh, flipper? No. A little, like, a flipper. A flipper. <laughs> Does he make a, a flipper of a sound? <laughs> make a flipper, of a, a fluffy sound. flipper movement as it goes through the lips. No, they're like they they make less noise than anything if it's a vart. Oh, okay. So it just sort of goes past the vaginal lips, but without making any noise. So it's more of an SBD. Yeah, an SBD. Silent but deadly. Silent but deadly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was probably me. Um, I wouldn't take your friend's uh horse dewormer vaccine. He sounds like he's not going to anyways. Thank you. Please don't. Please don't die. Stay on the Patreon. (laughs) Don't go. Yeah, just go get yourself some Rogan milk. Um, (laughs) All right, this next uh, next caller is calling with another spooky. This would be spooky to me. I would be very spooked by uh, what happens in this story. Um, Hi, Z. Hi, Kate. Hi, Z. Hi, this is Z. I was just listening to your podcast about Mark Chopper. I haven't. I don't know. I don't know anything about him, but um, I'll make sure. What'd you say? <laughs> I was gonna ask you. <laughs> I thought you said by chopsticks. Oh, As, did we do an episode about Z's chopsticks? I don't have the best memory. Oh, we we mean was she saying her childhood? She we did an episode about her childhood, or we mentioned her childhood about her childhood. <laughs> Or maybe she no. means the chopsticks to take out my tonsil stone, or? I'm not sure, but I'll go with it. Let's just go with it. To look it up. And then I listened to um, Kate's sick mom, her disgusting story. I have another one. I have a story, but it's a little bit disgusting, but maybe not so much at the time because I was drunk. And slash or high. So a few years ago, I um, was in Canada. So I was dating this guy. I was living in Toronto. And See, it's about. He, 
She's what? like lived all over the world. Well, doesn't she currently live in Dubai? Yeah, but she's from Palestine, isn't she? Originally? Yeah, she's Palestinian. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, it's kind of like a Palestinian theme here with our calls. Oh, there is, yeah. yeah I know it's a Palestinian <laughs> mix. Um, but I come up with a name for that guy. But yeah, Z's Z lived all over the world, but I think she lives in Dubai currently. She does live in Dubai at the minute. Probably the only person he, in Dubai listening. Like, he was not abusive, but he was like emotionally abusive. And I was um, trying to save him. Anyway, it was like a toxic relationship. And um, I'm embarrassed to even have been in that situation. Anyway, so one night after we were out drinking, high, getting high and everything, we go home. And we were having sex, and then I, um, I tried, like, he was laying down on his back, and um, I was on top. I bent over, and I was sucking his dick. Wait a second. So they were having sex. He's laying down. He was laying down. She's bent over, sucking his cock. So are they in, is it like a 69 position? No, I just think she's sucking his dick. So wait, they were having... Sex and then vaginal sex, and she gets up and just kind of moves down. Yeah, and and all right, I need, I need the mental image here, Kate. Yeah, do you? you I gotta put go? myself in the scene. <laughs> uh, I, um, side note, I, I like, I don't have a gag reflex. I mean, I do, oh. but it's not bad. How do girls like, do you know that? Like, do you, do you realize, like, do you learn that at a young age where you start sucking dick? Like, I guess I don't have a gag reflex. But or do you test it out? Like, do you put a toothbrush in there just to see? Oh, yeah, you test it out, and I think it is the look of the draw. You can train yourself to not have a gag reflex so as well. Can, what, really? You can just keep doing How do you train yourself? You like just a keep doing it. Like, every day. Zucchini? Every day, you just st- you stick that carrot further and further down your throat. Like, in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Wait, so did you do that? I never did that. But I don't uh-huh. have, I definitely couldn't suck down, like, you know, a hot dog, a hot dog without gagging. Oh, okay, so like, you'd have a bit of a gag. I have a bit of a, but it's not, like, overly sensitive. Hmm. I don't get disgusted easily. I'm very, I take it. So either I was sucking his dick, and then all of a sudden, I threw up on his dick. Disgusting, you know. Anyway, um, I threw up on his dick, and then he, um, and then he just he pushed my head towards his dick, like to keep on sucking. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? No, I'm not. Is it chunks? I want to know if it's like if you've just thrown up a bit of like bile, or if you've like blown chunks. Because if you've blown chunks on that cock, and then he's doing that, that is disgusting. I'm I'm picturing she's. You know, Palestinian, they're probably like, you know, Middle Eastern food. I'm picturing falafel, a little bit of hummus, maybe some labda, something like that. Is that what you're imagining? <laughs> I'm just picturing, well, I'm just saying, like, I probably get Middle Eastern food is what I'm imagining. I like all those foods. Yes, I would I. eat all those foods and throw them back up on a dick. <laughs> but, but the thing is, the guy, like, she was obviously disgusted. She threw up. And then the guy's like, no, keep going, baby. Like, that's what, <laughs> that's What's the part that, that I find. Uh, unnerving. What's that fetish called when you're really into puke? Uh, no, there's is a term it, for it. Has it got Roman in it? It feels like it's got a Roman a in Roman it. A Roman shower. I know Roman shower is the rank term, but I feel like even the Latin, <laughs> the Latin, 
the Latin term has the word Roman in it. I remember I met a girl that I briefly dated just a while ago. On uh, I think I met her on OkCupid. Okay so oh, people are selling OkCupid. Okay she was like a little older than me, but she looked like a librarian, but a sexy librarian type. Yeah. Like long black hair, whatever. And I remember like I hung out with her only like twice and like we never hooked we never actually had sex but i remember she was telling me um the second time we hung out that her thing she used the term she was into vomiting like deep throating to the point where she vomited and then would want the to use the vomit basically as lube to jack the guy off that's wrong i i was just like i'd never heard of it at the time you know and i was just kind of like that's what you're into she's like yeah because it's also humiliating yeah, so she wants to be dominated. She wants to be dominated. Dominated by dick. To the point that, but I'm like, and the guy is cool with you barfing all over his dick and then using that as barf lube. And she was like, well, we don't call it barf lube. I was like, well, we do <laughs> now. <laughs> but I, I just remember being like, wow, that is fucking disgusting. I remember reading, eight, this is years ago, it was in a really old issue of Bizarre Magazine and they were talking to a guy who had this fetish. Because in some ways, it's way like, you know, anal sex, there's shit out there. But there's very few, like, puking porn. Like, he wanted chunks, like, blown all over his face as he uh. wanked. And he used to say that one of his favorite things was he would go out early on a Sunday morning at, like, you know, 4 or 5 a.m. Because he wants to catch girls vomiting in alleyways so he could take pictures and then he would wank to them back home, and he would share those pictures on on a database of other pukers. Oh wait, wait, he would go out like in London or whatever, and girls after they got out of clubs barfing. Yeah, and that was his other thing. He wanted like, like fit, like to be mysterious with the puke. But only uh. once or twice did he ever have a girl. He had like a normal sex life, but it only once or twice was a girlfriend. Like, yeah, we'll go into the bathroom, and I'll just puke all over your face. Oh God, where do you live? I think it was Londony. It was okay. definitely it was using British humor. Because if he goes to downtown LA on a Saturday night, you wait till like the Asian girls get out of the club wasted, and then they eat those like Texas bacon hot dogs that the uh, street merchants are selling. Oh, and then give it an hour. Not even an hour, like twenty minutes. It, like you literally, you walk down the street like one fifty, two o'clock, and you'll see like at least four or five Asian girls just by a wall leaning over barfing up those gross Texas bacon hot dogs. That guy would be sticking his head under that. That <laughs> Roman shower. I'm do that. I'm not, it's like, I'm not a dog, like vomiting and then eating back my vomit. That's so disgusting. And I kind of ordered him to go and shower because because that was just like so disgusting. And I'm like, like, really used to have, like, large things, you know, in my throat. Um, not, I'm not talking about like, steady stuff, but, you know. I'm like, I'm sick, and I take, like, a, like a handful of pills every morning, evening, and night. And I take them all in one go. I'm really used to it. Right. I'm kind of confused. She was saying, so she's used to, like, taking a handful of pills, but she's not used to barfing on a cock. No, she says that, like, she really doesn't have that bad a gag reflex, so she do- doesn't know, like... So that was, like, an isolated incident. Yeah. Uh, well, it can be, like, because you're drunk and high as well, which makes vomiting easier sometimes. God, yeah. I think if that happened to me, I definitely, like, especially if it was, like, chunky barf, like, I would have been like, oh, my God, we got we to gotta take care of this. 
Yeah, it's not like it, it has to stop all sex plagues. You can't be put in that cock in a vagina after that because then, hello, you're going to Frush Town. Then no uh, yeah, one's going to have a good time. Yeah. yeah. You got to go to the back door. <laughs> <laughs> all right, she calls in with a part two. Go back here. Um, hi again. I'm done with my story. I just didn't say goodbye. Fucking, I, I hate these endings. Like, I need to have that make. Goodbye. Have a good day. Keep it sing. Sick. Ugh. Keep it wrong. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you, Bye. Steve. That yeah. was a great story. I liked uh, it. We've yeah. all been there. I mean, if you suck a dick, it happens once or twice in your life. How many uh, have you burped on? Um, not probably like one or two. There's been a couple of moments. I and remember. did you keep going? Like pretend it didn't happen. You, uh, you just kind of can't. Wipe the barf on one titty and just sort of <laughs> carried <move along>. on. <laughs> Hello, governor. Well, you've paid for it. <laughs> Let's just carry on. No, That's you kind of ten extra quid for the barf, honey. You kind of can't. You just gotta like you gotta go and clean yourself up and. Yeah, I don't know what. Uh, I guess I guess if you have a fetish, I mean this guy obviously must. That be guy sounded that. like a fucking abusive asshole. And he didn't sound like a prick anyway. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised that he's like, keep going, love. Well, he's Canadian, isn't it? So he'd be like, sorry, but can you keep going, eh? Then we'll have some poutine, eh? That's the type of guy that drinks Rogan milk, <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> uh, people call the sticker on hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. We want your spooky tales. Got two more weeks. Um, so as we uh, mentioned before, there's some big news coming up here on the show. Big, major, life-changing news. news. Huge, huge news. Um, and that's not an understatement, actually. So uh, this week, we launched our Patreon-only second show. I'm not sure why we didn't do this before. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because we wanted more content for the Patreon, but... We were doing a patron news story, a patron phone calls, and outtakes that were basically just like chit-chat for 40 minutes. It basically was a second show. show. And so finally I was like, I don't know, I think I, I think I was taking a shit or something. And it just like I had this like divine inspiration being like, why don't I just put it all on one track and call it a second show? And that's what we've done. Yeah, so now I'm putting it all together in one loosely structured shit show. No pun intended. <laughs> but I'm also kind of adding all the old intros that we used to use back in the day and some of the older ads that we used to use. I don't really play on the show anymore. Um, and the format of the second show is slightly different. Um, the outtakes have become kind of like personal story time, current life events or bitching about people we work with. And then we do a new story and uh, phone calls. And th So the regular show is going to always be free. We're going to do this every week. But it's more structured. It's professional. It's a professional radio show. The second show... It's Patreon only, and uh, it's still going to come out every Sunday, but it's a lot more like, yeah, loosely structured and um, fun. And I, guess, I think the original show, the, but the main show is fun. Oh, the fun. main show is fun too, what but this is, like, about? this is like spicy fun. Yeah, it's a little more saucy. And plus, we'll get, I'll get drunk on that one way more. But if you're curious about the big news, you got to sign up for Patreon to hear it. To hear the whole That's story. That's the only place. And it's only five bucks a month for uh, your access to uh, Sick and Wrong's second show. Uh, the Patreon news story this week was pretty good. It was about a term I was unfamiliar with, cuddle cots. Now we both know what that awful What a cuddle cot is. is, yeah. Yeah. It was funny when I said it, the first thing Kate was like, a cuddle cock? I'm like, <laughs> why would you even think about that? We all want a cock to cuddle with, even in our mouths at times. A cuddle cock. A cuddle cock. Uh, just the fact that she'd be like, I find your cock cuddly. It's just insulting. <laughs> 
It's insulting. It's it supposed does to be sound like yeah. It's supposed big, to be like Thor's mighty hammer. It's basically calling a cock like fat, isn't it? Being like, it's just so cuddly to look at. So up. cuddly, your cuddle cock. No, it's <laughs> definitely not a cock to cuddle with. It's something completely different. Um, and just for a few bucks more, you get our sick and wrong news segments, um, as well as uh, the overkill, um, which comes out, which is our sick and wrong bonus mini Just go to patreon.com slash sick and wrong and check out the major life-changing news. Um, also, T Public Store is up and running. I think they have a sale uh, this week here for um, uh, for people. Uh, it's like 35% off of all their merch. So if you want to get some sick and wrong merch for the holidays or maybe for uh, to make your Halloween even more spectacular, just go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop and click on the picture of the Pope. Uh, finally, here's Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. You know, I wanted to find something thematic, but not necessarily like, you know, I, I didn't want to like, yeah, well, I didn't want to pay homage to the Nazis. Well, no. But um, I kind of did with this one. Uh, Mel Brooks wrote a song that never actually made it into this movie. Um, it's called To Be or Not To Be, the Hitler rap. <laughs> yeah, it's from 1984. Um, you can imagine how great this song is. Um, on the movie soundtrack album, it, it's, it's one of the songs on the soundtrack, but never actually made it to the movie because I think the producers are like, we are not using this. Um, it's a novelty rap song entitled To Be or Not To Be, the Hitler rap. It was released as a single with a music video. You can actually check the music video. And it actually peaked at number 12 on the U.S. charts, February 1984. It was a different time back then. It was. I think, uh, yeah, I think people were a little more open to uh, droopers, Halloween costumes back then. <laughs> to Hitler raps. <laughs> and to Hitler rap. So we're going to end the show here with Mel Brooks, the Hitler rap. Uh, people will be back next week with episode 814. Till then. Take a squeeze. Good to 
were marching to. So I kind of like a German boogaloo. I was getting what I wanted, but it wasn't enough. So I called the boys and said, boys, get down. I surrounded myself with some unusual cats. There were skinny little girls and girls, Mr. Fat. Let's not forget old Himmler and Hess. You better believe we made a hell of a mess. Say hi, hi, ziggity hi. We're gonna rip it on the people through tonic style. $100,000. Just wanted to make sure that that was known to all. Lance wants to toss Jeffrey's salad and for $100,000 without a tongue condom. Have a nice night. <laughs> 